Thank you, guys. Well, wow. They asked me to present on generations in the church, and a couple of email exchanges I had is, okay, what do you want me to talk about? Generational differences, intergenerational ministry, reaching millennials, and, um, you know, it was sort of wide open. It was sort of the idea of, this may be some folks' first real exposure to all of the various groupings, the generational groupings that exist in the church, while there may be others that are, you know, really just right at the edge of being able to reach the millennial group, and so it's hard to know. So what I've decided to do is to go ahead and present something on the various generational groupings uh, that are present in the church, just as a matter of understanding. I've only got one presentation uh, that I can make, and so that's where I've decided to go with this. And uh, hopefully this will be insightful for you as, you as you go into your churches, and at least as it makes you more aware of some of the generational realities uh, that are in our churches. I mean, we've always had multiple generations in our churches, right? We've always had that. Well, the generational differences are heightened today, uh, and, and there are a lot of reasons for that, and I'll try to cover some of that. So at least, hopefully, you'll leave here with better understanding of that than what you may have had. So we begin, by the way, you've got the slides in front of you, right? So you can follow the slides on paper as well as up here. Um, I like to call this presentation Reaching People Under 40 While Keeping People Over 60. You know? <laughs> so, uh, I'm, just, I'm just curious. How many of the over 60 group do we have? Here, raise your hands high. Look around here. Look around. Look around. I, 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 technically, I can't. Thank you. Technically, I can't raise my hand. I'm not 60 until January 27th. <laughs> okay, um, how many of you are in the under 40 group? Look at this, look around here, guys, look around. Do you see something here? Uh-huh, yeah. It said, well, this was a group of elders and spouses. I get that, that's true. But um, that proportion is not uncommonly represented, not just when you bring groups of elders together. And so that's, that's part of the reason why we've got to look at this. Now, here's an overview of the generational groupings. And as you can see, some of you right away will be able to tell with the first group, the builders, that I've combined two generations. So I've got about a, you know, I've got about a 36 to 40 year time span right there with those two generations. And I'm actually joining what is often referred to as the GI generation and then the silent generation. But we're going to, as one group, call them the builders. Uh, for the sake of our presentation today. Then there are the boomers, okay, the boomers, the baby boomers uh, that are just younger than them, okay. <laughs> Some of you are cheering right along and say, yeah, I'm one of them. Um, then there are the busters, which is actually a misnomer, but that's a term that's often referred, used to refer to them. They're actually more numerous than the boomers, so they are not a bust, uh, but that name stuck at a certain point until we had the trailing edge group of the busters that were born, and it, you know, it sort of picked up, but the name stuck. And then the bridgers, or millennials. Bridgers because they're bridging us into the new millennium. 
And so that, that, that's the reason why you've got the boomer, the builders, the boomers, the busters, and the bridgers. Now, in these uh, characteristics that I'm going to talk about relative to these groups, it's important that you see that little intersection, right? Um, I'm going to be speaking in generalizations. You have to, you know, when you're talking about a generation as a whole. And about 75% of those will probably fit the generational attributes, right? But then there are about 25% that are in transitional groups. I'll give you an example. I was born in 1959. That puts me on the trailing edge of the boomers, which means that, and to some extent, I share characteristics of the buster generation. You know, because I'm almost a buster. You know, almost. But I'm still within that boomer category. And my, my, the circumstances of my upbringing were definitely boomer and not buster. I was raised by builder parents with the mantra, son, we want you to have everything we didn't have growing up. You know, and, and they meant that, right? Uh, I'm a boomer. I didn't say that to my millennial kids. I was thinking, man, you got, you got it good. You know, I mean, I didn't quite say that, but... You know, it was sort of this thing of uh, the Bridgers, by the way, are the first generation in America who know their lifestyles will not be as affluent as their parents before them. Isn't that interesting? Okay, because every other generation, I think there was that assumption. So you've got these four generations, but please do keep in mind, I'm really speaking in generalizations not all people within a particular generation will share those attributes, some, some of which because they're strictly transitional. They're between the two groups. Now, from here, we're going to look at each individual generation. First, the builders. Now, you notice I've actually divided two, I've actually put together two generations. Now, that little YouTube link, that little YouTube link was intended to be representative music for each generation. And I'm not going to be able to do every one of them because that link is supposedly dead. You know, it, you, know they, you know how they kill links in YouTube sometimes because of copyright infringements. I checked it just a couple of days ago and it was still alive. But given the fact that <clears throat> I don't want you to miss out, here is the representative music of the Builder Wave. Some of you recognize it? Glenn Miller, in the mood. Some of you are really rocking. All right. Okay. <laughs> I actually was going to show not just, uh, you know, there's one of them that's just got a picture of Glenn Miller with his trombone. <laughs> but the other actually shows the movie clip uh, of him when he was play when him and his band were playing uh, that particular tune. But that, that's a pretty good representation of the music that represented that era, sort of the 1940s big band swing music. And your representative figures are George H.W. and Barbara Bush and Billy and Ruth Graham. Strong representations. Now, I've given you a lot of names, okay, of several of the different... Uh, Names and aliases. Just walk down through some of those and see if you remember any of those names being attached to you at one time or another, if you are one of these builders. See that? 
Now, the age is 74 and older. Show of hands. Builders. Let's have a showing for the builders. Raise your hands here. Okay, excellent. Uh, it's okay to raise your hands high, by the way, so that we can actually see where you are. Can you do that again? There we go. Great. Mostly back here in the back. Okay. Now, there are subgroupings, the GI generation, uh, born 1901 to 1924. That's the group that Tom Brokaw referred to as the greatest generation in his a very popular book on this generation. Then there was a silent generation typified by Colin Powell. And part of the reason they're called silent generation, we've never had a president to come from that group. Uh, they're sometimes referred to as the silent generation because um, they were the ones who watched Big Brother go fight the war. And so uh, the big war, World War II. And so they sort of became significant to the ones that were just older than them. But then you have also within this group the war babies. Those born right around 1943 to 1945, and a good representation of that grouping is Dick Cheney. Okay? Now, do you notice that for the most part, when I had to choose figures that pretty much everyone would recognize from this generation, you know, just names that everyone would recognize... I had to choose from a particular political party. Notice that? Okay. Because predominantly this generation is Republican. Okay. All right. Now, let's keep going. I'll use statement on that at all. This is just talking demographically. Uh, getting to know the builders, there's an awful lot that we could say about formative experiences and characteristics. But what I really want you to pay attention to there are the religious factors. Look at the religious factors there on the upper right. Commitment to Christ equals commitment to the church. Big C. Church. They relate well to programs. Programs were good for them. From FDR on. Okay. Um, by the way, if you really want to watch something that helps to define the formative years of this group, watch Ken Burns' special on the Roosevelts. And it, 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 will, it will portray in a beautiful sort of way the kind of formative experiences that really help to shape this particular generation because uh, the, the two leading presidential figures during that time were Teddy Roosevelt and Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And, uh, and when you look at the way that Ken Burns has described their story and everything that was happening in the nation during that time, that's some of the formative experiences. But part of that is, if you remember, Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, had an effort to pull the nation out of the Depression, and one of the ways he did that was through a series of governmental programs, the WPA, the TVA, and uh, so many uh, others of those. And so governmental programs particularly are pretty highly regarded within this generation. Um, they're interested in foreign missions. Part of the reason being they were the first generation in America because of the wars, 
primarily World War II and World War I, to understand a culture that had not been brought up with church values. And so when they came home, that's when you had this huge uptick in foreign missions within the churches of Christ. Uh, they're loyal to denominations. Okay, now I'm using terminology that's typically placed in the material that you can read on this. But essentially what that means is they're loyal to their tradition. Very firmly loyal to it. They enjoy Bible study and prayer. And when I say Bible study and prayer, I'm really not talking about somebody reading a verse of Scripture and then asking, what does that mean to you? That's a boomer question. The builder question would be, what do you think that means? Verse by verse. Somebody in the, uh, the, the, the auditorium says, auditorium, you getting me? The auditorium class says, it means what it says, says what it means. Amen. Can't think of a more appropriate comment than that. We study the Bible verse by verse. Let's read the next verse from the King James Bible. All right, very loyal to that. My mother is a, just typified this generation. She had her large print Bible and her Willard Conchin fill-in-the-blank Bible study books. You you remember those? where you studied the Bible and you filled in the blanks to these various questions. And it was essentially taking the Bible and looking at it and you would read the Bible text and you would know exactly what the blank was supposed to be filled in in that. And there were memory verses and that sort of thing. But studying the Bible, and it didn't have to be an interesting Bible class. It didn't have to be a good Bible teacher. We just, you studied the Bible because that's what you were supposed to do. And you went to prayer meeting. Not the midweek assembly, not Wednesday night, it was midweek prayer meeting. And a very strong tradition about that. Minister out of sense of duty. This is my duty before God. They believe in God. They see corporate worship as a time of reverence that is typified by solemnity. I never will forget once, um, <clears throat> one of my friends and I had a little conversation now. We knew each other well, loved each other. And he was just, he came to me one time, and he was of this generation, came to me one time. I can't understand why those young people won't wear a suit when they get up there and wait on the Lord's table. I don't understand that. Why? If It's, it's kind of like going to Christ's funeral. Well, you wouldn't dare show up at a funeral somewhere without a good suit on, would you? You'd dress your best. And I looked at my friend and I said, Brother, keep in mind, last time I read the story, Jesus was raised from the dead. He says, oh, get over yourself. They need to be wearing a suit while they're standing up there. I understood what he was saying, right? Because for him, wearing that suit was a form of reverence. It expressed respect, right? You, you dressed your best. Reaching them, there's plenty of ways to do it, but for the most part, if you have them, you already have them. And they're loyal to you, and they're probably not going to leave you. So I'm not going to spend as long with that. Let's move to the next generation. 
the Boomers. Born 1946 to 1964. Now, the song I had selected there, some of you would be able to recognize, I won't play it, was, uh, do you remember the song, War? What is it good for? Absolutely. Okay, all right. And if you remember, the Boomers were being raised during the time of what war? Vietnam. Uh, What was the general level of public support of Vietnam over against World War II? Yeah, no comparison. No comparison whatsoever because this was during a time that governmental institutions, the, the role of government, the role of, quote, the establishment was being challenged. Now, a good movie to watch to kind of get a sense of some of the formative experiences during that time is Forrest Gump. You know, just watch Forrest Gump and a lot of what you see happening in that movie is a representation of some of the things that were going on in the younger adults during that period. Now, it's interesting, by the way, how that you can, you can politically divide, bifurcate this group. They're represented by Bill and Hillary Clinton, but also by George W. and Laura Bush, and the trailing-edge boomers represented by Barack and Michelle Obama. Now, if you'll look there, down at the bottom, uh, they're often divided into two groups, the leading-edge boomers from 1946 to 1954, who were the 60s activists and are typically political liberals. Okay, And then you have the trailing-edge boomers, born 1955 to 1964, who are sort of the 70s survivors and tend to be political conservatives. Now, right now, they're 55 to 73 years old. Show of hands. All right, now look around the room. Good, you see this. We're predominantly boomers in here. Now, this, um, I'm not there yet. I'll get there. Um, Here we are with the boomers. The The boomers are now the prevailing generation. The builders are the informing generation. The boomers are the prevailing generation. They are the ones who are leading the churches. Now hear me. Boomers. Am I right in saying, boomers, that we think we are cool even when we are old and crotchety? Boomers always think they're cool, right? And so, because they couldn't get things they wanted when the builders were prevailing in the elderships, so when they get into the elderships, they start instituting all this cool stuff, right? And because they think they're always cool, they can't understand why the young people look at it and yawn. Why aren't we attracting these people? We've got a worship team now. It may be a sit-down worship team, okay, but it's a worship team, okay? We've got stuff up on the screen. We've got our songs up there on that screen. You see that? But you've got shape notes with it. I, I, I love shape notes. Don't misunderstand me. I, I grew up in that tradition. Love it, you know. Uh, my favorite songs are the two-pagers, the foot stompers, the stamps-baxters, 
Okay, so if you want to know my preference, that's it. But, you know, when we look at that, we have to think that's, that's kind of a holdover, right? But we have this tendency to think that we're sort of on that leading edge when sometimes we have grave difficulty accepting the fact that the generation right after us completely rejected our value system. The busters completely rejected our value system. And the millennials, the bridgers, have an even greater difficulty with our value system. Now, um, going back here and looking at some of the characteristics of the boomers, let's look at their religious factors. Their commitment to Christ equals commitment to relationships. They want to belong but not join. They support causes and programs. They love sharing and personal interaction. They're loyal to people and not institutions. They minister out of a sense of personal satisfaction. They love to experience their faith. They see corporate worship as a time of celebration. Okay. Reaching them, well, do we have to talk a whole lot about that? Because here we are, right? So we won't spend a lot of time there on the boomers. Let's move now to the busters. Busters. Born 1965-1983. Let's have a show of hands. Okay. Got a lot of busters represented in here. Okay. That's great. Uh, by the way, the theme music that I had chosen is U2. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Okay. They're often referred to as Gen X. X being the undefined variable. That's why they were referred to as Gen X, right? And that's why in a lot of ways, when you're trying to think about how do you reach them, you have to think in some respects Boomer and in some respects Bridger. Because there's not this formula for reaching busters. They really are hard to pin down in some ways. They're really kind of tough to pin down. Um, so let, let, let's keep looking at it here. Look at the names and aliases. I'm not saying this is what they're called now. I'm saying at various times as they were coming of age, these were some of the names and aliases of that group. And notice I don't have Gen X up there, but it's one of the biggest that was most common. All right. You, and, and there are two groupings. There is the bust there in the 40s, born 65 to 76. Those of you who are busters here in the group, is that primarily the group here? Okay. All right. And then you had the boomlet. Uh, they're now in their 30s, born 1977 and 1983. They're the ones who really pushed it up to where this generation is actually more numerous than the boomers. And that's why the t term buster is really kind of a misnomer, but it's stuck. All right. Now, let's look at the religious factors. The religious factors are commitment to family with a small f. Meaning family is where you stay. But it's a little more than that. Perfect example of buster growing up. Uh, I'm, I think the movie's called The Breakfast Club. 
you know, where you got these kids in detention, you know, and, and, and so on. And there's kind of this, um, oh, I call it like moving from Red Skelton to Beavis and Butthead. Okay, Red Skelton ended all of his shows with Good Night and God Bless. Even though if you, I don't know how many of you have actually watched the Red Skelton DVDs, but his comedy was actually a bit risque. Uh, and he was sort of the toned down American version of uh, some British comedians who were popular during that time who were a lot more crass. Uh, but Red Skelton, even though he was recognized as being this clean American humor, had a little edge to him. But he still ended every one of his shows with "Good Night and God Bless." Verse as Beavis and Butthead. Eh, you know, I won't even get into the terminology. All right, but there was that movement. There was a little bit of movement to that with this generation, and so family came to be defined differently. Family is whom you love and accept and who's part of your group. It, it, it's not just family with a big F. A lot of this group experienced divorcing parents. And a lot of them were latchkey kids as they were growing up. And it was, you know, family is not quite the same as it is for the millennials. The millennials were probably the most desired and protected generation that's ever been raised in the United States. Right? But this group, is, it was a little bit different for them. Not in all cases, keep in mind, because I have to speak in generalizations here. They like up-to-date ministry, new music. Okay, uh, They desire faith that meets needs. They look for less structure as well. There, there is a light kind of defiance towards structure and hard systems of authority with, with this group. They expect faith to relieve stress. They love variety in music. They see corporate worship as a time of fun. Holy fun in the Lord. Now, uh, the quintessential preacher for this generation is Andy Stanley. He's sort of the quintessential preacher. Now, at some point, though, Andy Stanley has even had to recognize he's the preacher... Uh, North Point Ministries uh, in Atlanta. His father was Charles Stanley, who preached for the First Baptist Church in Atlanta, In Touch Ministries, and so on. And um, But even Andy Stanley had to recognize at some point, even though he's sort of a trailing-edge boomer, right? But the, the group that was really reached by him, uh, right around the coming of age, the adult coming of age of most busters, Andy Stanley was sort of the, the, you know, the preacher as well as the Hillsong guy, and some of the others that are out there. And, you know, worship was, you know, this is, this is the era in which you found a lot of worship assemblies and evangelicalism that had the dark surroundings with the black industrial paint around and, and so on, and the lights and the fog and that sort of thing, and the lights shining upon the people who are at the front but for the most part, they're being, you know, it's kind of hard for you to see yourself, you know, if you're out in the group. It was during this time that that sort of style within evangelicalism uh, came into the foray. Reaching busters, it's really hard to say, 
But defining vision, updating worship services, stressing marriage and family, restoring relationships with parents, issues with a small eye, because the idea is, what do you think, you can change the world or something? You know, stop this, all this boomer, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony and buy them a Coke and, that, you know, stop all that. You, you know, you can't do that. That's just, you know, it's pie in the sky, you, you can't. Boil the issues down locally, and maybe we can make a difference. Um, and you can read down through and see some of the others as well. All right. I, told, I, I usually make this presentation in about three hours, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to boil it down. Okay, the Bridgers. Born 1984 to 2002, the theme music I chose, I chose was Farrell Williams' Happy. Some of you, you know, uh, would, rec- yeah, I mean, I can't sing it, because in order to sing it, you kind of have to move with it, and moving and me are just kind of gross, you know, so I, I didn't want to do that. Ages 17 to 35, we have millennials who are 35 years old, and there are two subgroups, Gen Y. Born 1984 to 1992, and then to Jan Iy, born 1993 to 2002. If you want to read the best batch of research that's really accessible on this group, go to Pew Research. I've given you a little link there. Lots of really fine research on the millennials there. Okay, now, boy, you see what I did here. Religious factors. Commitment to Christ, it was commitment to my group. They desire interactivity. They believe in the vision and the wisdom of the older, even the ancient. They appreciate authentic authority, but they reject autocratic authority. Authority has to be wielded for the purpose of building egalitarian structures. That makes sense? Whoever has authority needs to use it to build flatly organized, not hierarchical sort of thing. So you, you have to use it for that. Syncretistic pick and mix spirituality. You know, kind of the hodgepodge. Very egalitarian and collaborative in their decision making. Their parents always talked over family decisions with them. Always. I I was talking with a fellow boomer. We both raised millennials. He said he was thinking about moving somewhere. He says, yeah, we're having to have this discussion with our adult daughters. Boy, it's tough. Okay, now some previous generations, they just make the decision and go, right? Not this generation. Oh, you don't dare do that. You know, because, it, you know, it's the, these decisions have always been a part of the family. We, admittedly, we raised our kids that way. When we moved to Memphis and built our house, we had to have the girls right alongside the whole piece of it. You know, I mean, you know, it was just they were involved and they helped mom select the, you know, the countertops and the cabinets. And even they weren't even going to live in it. All right. But, but this was part of it. All right. They're morally tolerant. Judging others is worse than sinning yourself. 
The mantra text for this group is judge not, that you be not judged. Sacrifice and support causes that benefit the whole. They, they love freedom from boredom. They want um, their... They want honest relationships with mentors and authentic faith demonstrated. They love faith that gives order and harmony relationship. They reject absolutes, but they tend to live responsibly. They love a variety in worship with frequent media images. They process information in narrative form, which means through story. Okay. Uh, reaching them, stressing teamwork, involvement in community, building genuine community, long-term relationships, defining your vision and modeling it using social media. Uh, but you've got to be careful which media you select, right? Because let me give you the stats on this. Business Week says among 18 to 29-year-olds, here's the social media. YouTube is number one. Facebook is number two and it's declining. Snapchat is taking its place. Instagram and Twitter. Okay, so the media have changed. Facebook's for old people. It's ours. Boomers just took it over. It's kind of like what Nashville did to Knoxville relative to country music. Okay, you know, Knoxville was the cradle and it came of age in Nashville. It's true, by the way. I spent 20 years in Knoxville. We birthed it. Okay. They just took it from us. Okay. Made something out of it. Well, you know, kind of the same thing. Facebook was kind of started as a young thing, but we sort of took it over. And it is, it's, it's primary. I don't know what the exact average age is for people who do Facebook, but I'm, it's got to be in the 40s. It's got to be at least that old. Uh, because it, it's become an older media. Now, how many of you are on Facebook? Raise your hand. All right, look around here. How many of you like Facebook? Okay, all right. Yeah, a lot of people do. And that tends to be more of an extrovert thing. <laughs> Extroverts tend to love it. Okay, all right. But I'm just saying you've got to be careful. But to avoid the digital divide and to maintain a lot of face-to-face, stress intergenerational dialogue. Very important. Include women in influential roles. These people grew up with women in influential roles. And many of them really just simply can't understand why women... This is the way I heard one person put it. She said, I'm in my 30s. I'm a respected executive... In my work, I come to church, and as soon as I close the door of my car, I have to act like I don't know anything. And I sit there for two hours, and that's what I do. I act like I don't know anything, and I can't do anything, but I know I can lead this group more effectively than those men can do it. She's frustrated. Okay, I'm not trying to go down that issue. <laughs> that's the lived frustration of a lot of people in this group. Um, mentor and model authentic faith. Use an embodied that is a lived out apologetic, not an argument apologetic, but an embodied apologetic, the defense of the faith. Reframe activism. Emphasize social justice and creation care. 
That's huge. Honest and open talk. Stress biblical tolerance and acceptance. Shift from entertainment to long-term maturity. Allow time for discovery of truth. Emphasize God's presence. Ancient spiritual practices are helpful there. Access the rational through the emotional. Okay. Now, strategies, real quickly. Number one is to understand the natural succession of generations. The difference is lifespans are longer. And because lifespans are longer and change, the, the pace of change is increasing, it means that we have four, sometimes 4.5 generations represented in church attendance, but often what you have is they are not together in the same churches. But we've always had the succession of generations. It's just that we have, there are three things. If you'll notice here, the current struggle between generations is due in large part to the interaction of three major trends. Longer lifespans, that's number one. Rapid change, the pace of change widened the generational technological gap. And the under 40s were raised in the postmodern versus over 60s in the modern ethos. All right. Now, that's bigger than we have time to entertain in this setting, but it's simply to indicate this. The shift from the modern to the postmodern ethos is the kind of change that only occurs once every three to four hundred years. And the perspectives shared by most millennials are not just different opinions. Most of them have a completely different worldview than the generations before them. They don't even start in the same place that many of us do. And that's part of the reason why there is such a huge disconnection. Some of you who have very good relationships with your millennial children still notice that yourself, that they deeply respect you and carry on good dialogue with you, but to some extent it's like they're humoring us when they listen to us. Right? Because they, 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 don't even, they don't even process their world in the same way that, that we do. And, and that's no fault of us or them. It's just to, to understand that we don't raise our kids in a cultural vacuum. And we raised our kids with a lot of the same cultural assumptions of our generation without understanding that the culture was affecting them in ways that were imperceptible almost to us that have given them this symbiotic relationship to where they love the older generations, but they think very differently than them, which is the reason why they want not only mentoring, but reverse mentoring. They want to be able to teach you as well as you teach them. And to be honest, a lot of that has to occur. I've just, I've humored, there's sometimes that I've been amazed myself, as well as been amazed at others, when we think we understand this generation before we actually have conversations with them. All right, but do you see the, uh, down at the bottom, the, the promoting, the prevailing, and the informing generation? Okay, now we've always had that, the preparing of the youngers, the promoting are the next group, the prevailing are the ones who are leading, right? They're the ones who are making the decisions. But since the disconnection is so strong between the prevailing generation and the 
preparing generation, that's why we have a lot of generation-specific church plants. Because they're not giving up on their faith. They're just giving up on the church that gave them their faith. Okay. Now, that's number one, is understand. But then let's look at the typical differences. We're not going to be able to go through all of these. Just browse through the conflict over worship styles real quickly. Boy, this is so important, guys. It's so important. I had a church call not long ago that I'm going to be working with, and they said, our average age of our church we know is in the 60s. We have a lot of 60-year-olds, and we have a beautiful building that is recognized across the country as being one of the most beautiful facilities for church in the nation. We have stained glass windows all throughout our building that are just absolutely beautiful. But one of the things that they recognize is we really don't know how to reach this group. And we really desperately want to. And I gave it, I I, I give them credit because they said we know it's not just a matter of doing some different stuff in our worship service. But we don't know exactly what to do. And that's true. Because a lot of the millennial generation, they don't care too much about your worship style as long as it's authentic. That's not to say they don't care. They do. But authenticity more than anything. Uh, Some of the other typical differences uh, clash over sermon form. In today's postmodern setting, we start on the right while using the structure of the left. Start narrative, but then hang order into narrative. Because narrative, story, is where the connection is more and more with the younger uh, generation. Uh, dissension over Bible translations. A lot of the younger see the King James Version as an artifact of ancient English literature. And they access their Bibles digitally. I do. I preach from my phone. Got my notes on my phone. I'm, a, I'm 59, 50, 59 years old, and I, st- I preach from my phone. A lot of them do, you know. And they access their Bibles digitally. Um, differing views of the church building. Builders know the church is the people, but they do honor sacred space. We paid for this building to be used for God, so don't drink your coffee in here. Younger see all of the building as space to be used for any good purpose. They disdain money being spent on buildings versus missional commitment to the needs of others. Okay. Uh, understand some of the other typical differences. Pastoral care. The younger practice one another care, and sometimes when they see a minister coming to visit them, they think, why are you here? Yeah, you, don't, you don't have to be here. Don't worry about that. That's to where an older generation says that's his job. He's supposed to be there. Disunity over drama and video. Uh, the younger see drama and audiovisual as just one more way of communicating, kind of like speech making. To them, there's just no difference. Between it, it's just a way of communicating. It's just that you've got five people up there interacting, presenting it, versus one person up there in a monologue. And that, that's essentially the way it's boiled down. They were taught with drama. right? Contention over programs. Um, programs have been good for builders, from FDR's WPA and TVA to midweek prayer meeting, 
Time-pressed younger generations may see them as ineffective time wasters and want them to be canceled or restructured. Boomers and busters like small groups while builders resent groups that share but don't study the Bible. Bridgers like both large groups and small groups, but they don't thrive. They won't thrive without a lot of one-on-one and small group interaction. Sunday school is strong in established churches for all age groups. If you're an established church, don't discount Sunday school, even for the younger generations. It's the longest-running program in churches today. If you've got good Sunday school, it's an attraction. Bump it up. For younger and older, Sunday school is good. Okay, don't. And if you don't know how to do it, just go to the Baptist. I mean, they know how to do it. <laughs> They've always known how to do it. And they will forget in my, one of my young ministries, they said, Brother Collis, uh, we want you to organize vacation Bible school this summer. And I said, I've never organized vacation Bible school. Well, you're going to do it this summer. I said, okay. I didn't know what I was, I didn't know what to do. That was back during the time that they had Baptist bookstores. Then it became Lifeway, you know, that kind of thing. Back when they had Baptist bookstores. And I had a youth ministry professor who told me one time, he said, if you're stuck and you don't know how to do this kind of thing, just go to a Baptist bookstore and talk to those really nice ladies there. So I did. I stepped into a Baptist bookstore in Memphis, Tennessee. (laughs) And I'm standing there. And she says, may I help you, young man? And I said, yes, ma'am. I've been told I need to lead a vacation Bible school. And I have no idea how to do it. I'm Church Christ. She said, bless your heart. (laughs) She said, do you see this row here? And it was as long as a gym. She said, that's VBS. Now let me show you some of these VBS curricula. And she walked me down and she showed me how to, and boy, we had a great VBS that summer. I mean, it it was really good. So if you don't know how to do the Sunday school, just go to the Baptists. Okay, they've, they've got some good ideas. And just because Baptists go through doors to get into their buildings doesn't mean we have to go through windows to get into ours. Okay, you know, they've got great ideas, so use them. Okay. Um, now, this one's big. This one's huge. Struggle over mission. I'm looking at the clock, and I think I've got at least seven more minutes. That's what I'm looking at, so I'm looking back... I've got three. That's okay. Good. Thank you. You were doing this, and I saw the three, and I thought, okay, good. This is is a tough one, guys. This is a tough one. Builders see the Great Commission as a call to conversionist evangelism. Let us help you know Christ so you can be part of our church. Okay? Boomers see it as a call to being seeker-sensitive with less distinction between them and the unreached. Let us initiate you into the journey. Okay. Boomers and some builders are attractional. That is, creating that which attracts outsiders without compromise, and the attraction is commonly to and from homogenous people groups. Okay. This was typified by Rick Warren, Purpose Driven Church, Saddleback. Valley Community Church. It is the quintessential attractional boomer model. If you build it, they will come. Right? So you, 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 you arranged your worship services and everything so that you would attract outsiders. Okay? 
There's a huge distinction between what we call attractional, however, and among the younger generations, what is referred to as missional. Now, you've probably heard that term being thrown around a lot, missional. Essentially, it is used to distinguish between the old attractional model and the newer model. What is meant by missional is we don't get them to come to us. We, what? Go to them. Okay. Now, I would say do both. Okay. Be both attractional and missional. I sometimes say with my students, if you're not going to be attractional, what are you going to be? Unattractional? I mean... Don't, don't assume that the attractional model doesn't have something to it. But, in, uh, but from a missional perspective, you don't just set up a booth for greeters. You form a ministry of hospitality. And the ministry of hospitality is trained to look at the people who tend to be excluded and you're doing everything you can to practice radical hospitality of being inclusive. Say, so if you just start a greeting ministry, that's attractional. If you start a hospitality ministry that's designed to be inclusive, you're being what? More missional in your orientation. Um, the attractional perspective sees new members as new members. Membership-based. But doesn't that say there are members and non-members, right? Okay. A missional perspective tends to say, let's not view them as members and non-members. Let's view them as missional partners. Look at this next piece. Bridgers see the Great Commission as holistic. Mission touches every effect of the fall. Wherever the fall of humanity has affected the world in which we live, mission goes there. Okay, That's not just personal sin. That's the fact that the creation was set awry. Uh, the creation was subjected to frustration, not of its own will, but by the will of one who subjected it in hope. Romans chapter 8. The creation groans in travail. So creation care is a part of mission. That's not to the exclusion of evangelism, but creation care is a part of evangelism. And so if millennials walk into a building and they see that you don't recycle, it bugs them. It really bugs them. Now they'll be respectful about it, and most of them, unless they're in Enneagram eight, okay, that's just a little all right, they won't say anything to you about it. <laughs> they'll just walk out very politely and say it was so nice to visit with you today. Thank you for allowing me to come. And then they'll never come back. You know, because, not just because you don't recycle, but they also want to see, do you have a whole lot of different types of people here? They grew up singing red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. What about the old adults who are red and yellow, black and white? And I don't see any tattooed people at your church. You know, I mean, that... So, all right, I'll keep reading here. They see it as being inclusive. Teach all ethnicities. And they see it as an expression of the transcendent great commandment. So for them, what's bigger than the great commission? The great commandments. The great commission is an expression of the great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the great commandments. 
that transcend First Testament and Second Testament. Right? Great Commission is under that. Great Commission is an expression of the Great Commandments. But the Great Commandments are bigger. It's the bigger umbrella. It's also tied to their view of God's end goal. The renewal of genuine divine human oneness in the new heavens and the new earth that reconciles everything, relationships, creation, the nations, etc., to God's original purpose. Thus, mission is being a sign and a foretaste and an instrument of this coming kingdom and includes embracing diverse people groups, radical hospitality, removing barriers, serving others in the light of our common humanity, social compassion and justice, and evangelizing as a bridge that brings everyone back to God. So instead of up above, let us help you know Christ so you can be part of our church, theirs is, let us welcome you into our church so that you alongside us may come to know Christ. It's a process kind of evangelism. Okay, This last one, struggle over spirituality. All right. Now I'm going to have to turn this direction to be able to read this one I've been reading from the back. I'm about to turn 60. Builders see spirituality in terms of Bible study, prayer, regular worship attendance, congregational loyalty, hierarchical respect for church leaders, generous giving to one's church, and dependable participation in church events and programs, God-fearing life. Community is experienced primarily in Sunday school and worship. Most other aspects of spirituality are preferred... Private for the builders. Boomers view spirituality in a more open experiential and intimate terms and select and deselect environments based on fulfillment of these ends and inspiring worship assemblies, groups, classes, and ministries that are also attractive or at least not off-putting to the unchurched. Loyalty, giving, submission, participation are more contingent on need fulfillment, relationships, competent and participatory leadership, and consistent delivery of quality religious services. That's boomers. Now, boomers, look at that. Does that sound about right? Okay. I'm seeing some nods. I know you might not want to admit it, but if you are admitted and being honest, does that sound about right for boomers? Okay. Busters are often in between. With first wave similar to boomers, but perhaps more easily frustrated expectations, cynicism, and tentative commitments. Second wave, more akin to bridgers. Bridgers are of two different spiritual orientations. One is more contemplative and reflective in ancient spiritual practices, and the other is more active missional discipleship. Many blend these two. Both are deeply communal and inclusive, socially, morally, and religiously, They're socially conscious and evangelized through clear demonstration of the gospel, co-learner dialogue with those who are not believers, and less overall distinction in categories of belonging, that is, missional partners versus members and non-members. This notion of there being deeply communal and inclusive, so strong. Now... In the next um, few pages, what I've tried to do is to lay out on pages um, 7, 8, 9, and 10 
some other aspects of um, strategies for building healthy relationships. It's, we really don't have time for it. And I knew this is probably pretty much what we would be able to do, is to talk about the, the lay of the land, the, the larger groups of builders, boomers, busters, and bridgers. And to be able to see that this is really challenging. It's very, very challenging. Um, can churches do this? Can established churches reach millennials? Let me. Yes. The answer to that is yes. What I would like for you to do is to look on page 8, this next slide right here, and pay close attention to the second one that I've listed called Breaking Down Age Barriers. And I've given you a link to that. Just follow that bit.ly link. I've shortened it. And it will take you to a PDF report published by Leadership Network. And in that report, what you'll find is that the primary outreach among those churches that are actually reaching millennials has more to do with intergenerational dialogue than anything else. Learning intergenerational dialogue is probably one of the key factors with this. There is also, and I want to add to this, a book. I want to add a book in here that I've just been catching up on the reading of this text. It is, let me see here, I'm going to have to go to my Kindle reader here real quick. I was actually reading the last little piece of this on the plane coming over. Um, it is, let me give a go to the actual cover of the book. Hold on. Effective Generational Ministry. Effective Generational Ministry by Elizabeth Shanoto, S-H-A-N-O-T-T-O, just put Shanoto, S-H, no, pardon me, not S-H, Spanato, S-B-A-N-O-T-T-O, Elizabeth, S-B-A-N-O-T-T-O, and Craig Blomberg. Blomberg is a boomer who is also a biblical scholar. And Sabanoto, and I have no idea if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, S-B-A-N-O-T-T-O, is of a younger set, and they co-authored this. I would encourage you to go to her chapter on reaching millennials. It is superb. It is very good. Now, I'll end with a little analogy she used. She used the analogy of a, a, a team, a sport team. Okay, I'll end with this. She used the analogy of a sport team. When you're trying to reach millennials, first, who are the players? The players are the millennials. Who are the opponents? It's the prevailing culture. 
in which millennials are trying to live out faith, where it's very difficult for them to do it. What we just have to make sure is that the church doesn't become one of those opponents. And she does a very fine job talking about that. She says, then there are the coaches. The coaches are the ones who are going to be on the front line in your church being able to reach the millennial generation because not everyone's going to be able to equip to do it. But then she says, the biggest group of reaching millennials in established churches are not just the players or the opponents or the coaches. The coaches are those who are especially adept at knowing how to adjust themselves to be able to reach the millennial generation. And you're not going to have any more than, what, 10% of your church who's really, really capable of doing that. He says the biggest group are the fans. The fans. And you know how important fans are for a good team, right? And this is where she really hits, hits it strongly, I think, when she says the fans have to be the onlooking church that is supportive and gracious and kind and receiving of the changes that have to be made in order for these things to be done. And it's the lack of fandom that keeps our churches from being able to reach the millennials. If you use the game analogy, because you've got willing millennials... And you definitely have opponents, but you have fans who turn the church into an opponent. Are you see what I'm talking about there? She says, that's got to stop. Then you need the coaches, that is those who really in your church really know how to reach them. And then the rest of the church has to be fans. And she talks about good fandom in her chapter, and it is superb. It's in the book by Sabanato. And Blomberg, I've never met her, and I don't have any idea if she's pronouncing, I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but if she looked at my name, she'd probably mispronounce it too. But it's a great book, Effective Generational Ministry by Blomberg and Sabanato. Boy, we could have done a lot more, and I think I've gone over a little bit. Thank you for indulging me with that time. Blessings on you as you seek to have better understanding and missional effectiveness with this issue. Okay.